welcome to Faithful Innovation. I'm Tina Jason. I love learning about the way God's love motivates how people serve the world. Hearing authentic personal stories deepens my understanding of how God transforms regular work and everyday encounters into acts of grace. Join me as I seek out ordinary people in cities, suburbs, small towns, and rural places who are doing extraordinary things. The goal, to inspire a wholesome expression of faith in your life, ministry, or business. Today, I welcome Dale Cryenkamp to join me as we talk about what God did through his journey of unemployment. As a human resources executive of 40 years, Dale experienced unemployment twice. In both circumstances, neither were his fault. His position was eliminated as the result of corporate restructuring. Dale says God allows challenging experiences to strengthen us. I know you'll enjoy hearing how God is taking Dale's experiences and shaping them in ways that are serving as a blessing for others. Dale, thanks for joining me today. Nina, thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to this. Well, we were introduced through a mutual friend, Sarah Godalian, who was my guest in episode 12, because you had just published a book, How Long, O Lord, How Long? Devotions for the Unemployed and the People Who Love Them. And I have read your book and really appreciated it. So as we get started, I wondered if you would briefly share your faith background growing up. Sure. I grew up in the Lutheran church. I grew up in the church that my father had been a member for almost all of his life and uh, went to the Lutheran grade school. So our church had a grade school. And so I went through that. So I've been a member there all my life, married my wife and blessed to have uh, three kids. And uh, I would say God's never not been in my life. It's just always been part of who I am and what I am. What brought us to this conversation was the book that you've written. Would you share the experiences that led up to the writing of that book? Sure. It, uh, it comes from being unemployed, and it comes from being unemployed a couple of times. The first time I was unemployed, I had been with an organization for 25 years. I was a senior-level executive um, in an organizational restructuring, lost my job. So I knew I was in uncharted territory for me, and so I went to seek out some resources, and certainly there were resources aplenty on how to look for a job, but nothing on the spiritual side. And so as I went through that journey, um, I actually began to write a few devotions thinking in the back of my head, you know, there's really nothing. What, what could I do for those folks? I started my own consulting practice and from there later uh, was hired away by a client. And so for the next 15 years, life just moved on and I was starting to envision what would life look like later on at retirement, things like that. And then all of a sudden, my position was again eliminated. And at that point in time, I, I sat down and, of course, my eyes were cast upward and I said, okay, Lord, I guess it's time to finish this book. And so I really wanted to make sure that there was something in the market that helped people both from an emotional standpoint, but especially a spiritual standpoint. How do we learn to walk with God through this journey and uh, how do we strengthen our faith? How do we walk the walk that we're, most of us really aren't prepared for? I have found over and over again, and particularly in these conversations with guests, that some of our strongest ministry comes from a place where we've been broken and where God has met us there, that then perfectly positions us with a certain empathy that we wouldn't have developed any other way to be able to be a blessing in the lives of others. 
at what point in those unemployments did the thought of a book come together? Um, I would say the first time I went through it, um, and that period was a little bit more than eight months before I went into consulting, at about the midway point, I just felt like I ought to begin to do something to, to turn it around, take a little bit more control as much as we can to say, okay, how do I use this experience? And then as I started to get some rhythm to that, the other opportunities presented themselves and it kind of sat there. So it was always in the back of my mind. Um, so occasionally I'd see the binder on the shelf and I'd say, boy, I really should do something to finish that. But I never did. And so when it happened again, it was pretty quickly that I said, it's time to finish this book. It's just then not knowing how to go about doing that. So that sent me on kind of a journey of how do you, how do you learn how to finish writing a book and get it published or how do you self-publish? Uh, so that was then a different journey. Yeah, sometimes the road from what we can do to how do we actually get it done is, that's a journey of its own. Having read the book, I have a sense of this, but it would be nice for our listeners to, to hear from you in this conversation. In what, ways, in what ways did your faith influence your unemployment experience? Wow. Um, you know, I think I would say it's the only way I make, made it through it. Um, without that faith and belief that God as a plan. Um, it's his plan, which he'll reveal at his time, you'd go nuts. And so that was really one of the rocks that I had to rely on. Um, because I knew he was using this in some way to change me, teach me, do something with me, just didn't know what it was at that particular point in time. Um, I also learned in, in that faith is an action verb. So there are some people that we'll kind of sit on the couch and say, well, well, God's got a plan. Well, yeah, he might have a plan, but you need to get off the couch and go do something. And so how am I faithful every day to get up and follow a process that's trying to discover, Lord, what do you want me to learn? What am I supposed to do next? Is there a job? What, what is it? Um, so I have to be faithful in that. And so we have to get up and do and allow him to do it. So it's, you know, the old story is uh, you have to take the first step. And so that was an important thing for me to do every day. Peter had to step out of that boat into the wind and the waves before he could walk on the water. So it's that, that is so true. Yes, yes. Tell me what that looked like in the day-to-dayness of it. What did the day-to-day of putting faith into action look like? Um, so one was to continue to get out and meet with people. So a process that's a pretty important one for people is to get out and be visible in the job market. And so that means networking and connecting with people. So I had to constantly continue to set up appointments and get up and get out and meet different people. And in those conversations, learn more about them, share a little about me, and then hopefully get them to introduce me to someone else. So it's a networking process that I had to stay faithful to. Um, and actually, I'm more extroverted by nature. So that really gave me more energy days when I was at home alone. Those weren't good days. So I had to work on that part of it. Um, I also just had to keep busy with doing other things uh, around the house or with my family. So I'm blessed that my grandkids are nearby and, and they're often at the house. And so I had an opportunity to spend some time with them that I hadn't normally been able to do. And that was a real blessing. So 
it's just continuing to get up and every day say, thanks, Lord, for the gift of this day. Now, what am I going to do and how do I move forward? It brings to mind a certain section in the book, and I shared with Dale before we started recording that my husband and I had been through a season of unemployment as well. One of the things you write about is a different use of shared space, that you had entered the domain that your wife operated in primarily. And uh, so just talk to me about some of that dynamic of entering, because that's part of the day-to-day too, of how do we even navigate space in our home? Yeah. Um, We actually use the analogy space invaders, which uh, if you're of the vintage that I was, was a video game, one of the earlier versions and uh, said, I've invaded her space, and she and the grandkids have invaded my space. And that was challenging because uh, for my wife, having me around the house was not something that she had seen other than on vacations and maybe a weekend, because my work life kept me uh, in one of those 50 to 60 hour a week type jobs and things in the evenings. And so all of a sudden, here's this person in this space, and I ask a lot of questions, and I think that's what drove my wife nuts. You know, I'd say, well, no, why do you do it this way? Why don't you? And, you know, she had to just turn and say, Dale, don't ask. <laughs> and she said it very nice. And then I had to accept that, that uh, even though I might have wanted peace and quiet to get something done, there might be a face up against the glass doors to the office from one of the grandkids that was just giving me uh, goofy looks to say, you know, why don't you come play with me? And it took a couple of months to get used to that and to learn each other's schedules. So I actually tried to schedule around that. So my wife worked two days a week usually. And on those days, if I was going to be home, those were good days to be home. And I tried to adjust and get my out time on the other days. And yet, tried to leave the flexibility. I think one of the hard parts is the time is conflicted for us. So if we're not doing everything to look for a job, we feel guilty. So if I'm playing with the grandkids, I'll feel guilty. I'm not looking for a job. If I'm spending all the time on the job hunt, I'm sitting there saying, my gosh, I could be playing with the grandkids or taking my wife to lunch. What am I, an idiot? You know, so it's that it's the conflict that you run into a lot. It's, it's kind of a no-win on both sides of that coin. And that was another piece of the book that I found really interesting, just like you have a work week of where you have focus time of your work in a job search season, that there be a focus time for that and also then permission to play. So could you just talk about that aspect a little bit? Sure. I had a friend of mine who had owned his own business and um, it was something he re- did remotely. And uh, he had a system that he used of flex flex days, focus days, and off days. And the focus days were just the days where he said, look, I've got work to do and I'm going to go at it. And certainly he planned for off days because there's a danger that we don't take any time off in this job search because my gosh, if I take a day off, I'll miss the one opportunity that's out there. We forget that you really think God's going to not provide the opportunity just because you took a day off. I mean, it's kind of laughable when you think about it. And on the flex days, he said, those are the days that that's the most important thing for people is to make certain that they have permission to do things differently. And so that permission was to say, if somebody called up and said, hey, Dale, can you play golf to Thursday afternoon? If I didn't have anything that was planned, why not? You know, it's, it's beautiful weather. Go out and enjoy friendship and enjoy something you do. 
and you need to be able to give yourself permission. So when I talk to people who are unemployed, I talk a lot about that with them is that you have to give yourself a break and you have to give yourself some separation, which is not easy for us because again, we're anxious to get back at it. Um, but that permission to relax is an important one and enjoy life. I really like that frame of focus days, flex days, and just free days, off days where you can do whatever you want. There is a motivation to get back to work and, and figure what this looks like, except that's not a normal rhythm of our lives where we are 24-7 on one task like that. That Our lives, when we're working, have a rhythm to it. So I think that's such high value to think of it in, ways, in that kind of a frame. And it's uh, sometimes easier said than done, Tina, um, because we will get wrapped up in it. And my wife would say, you know, you haven't really taken the days off here lately. I think it's time. And so that becomes an important thing. So if you have a spouse or a partner that you are close with, that dialogue with each other to set expectations is a pretty important one. Mm -hmm. As the spouse, the content of this book has value for both parties, for the person themselves to read it and understand some of the things that may be coming at them in the journey and ways to approach it, but then also from the side of the supportive relationship to be able to appreciate what a person may be going through and some ways to be able to step into that in a supportive role, maybe in a better way that, that we may be doing that. Dale, I'm wondering, uh, as we're talking, if there are other adjustments you had to make along the way that, that may come to mind that we haven't talked about. You know, you mentioned, uh, you mentioned one, which is just the different rhythm. That was a really hard one for me, um, was just the different rhythm that life happens. Because again, I got up every day, you know, 6 a.m. I was in the office by 7 so I had this rhythm and all of a sudden I didn't have that rhythm. Um, and so trying to figure out schedule that made me comfortable yet gave me some freedom was one. And then the other a big adjustment for me was just the loss of community. So when we lose a job, we lose a community and family of people that we worked with that most of us spend more hours of the day with those folks than we do with our own family. If you think about it, whether you worked at a job site or a plant or an office, when you walked into your place of where you did your vocation, every day you probably see five to 10 people on the way in from wherever you park your car and you say, hello, how are you? All of a sudden you wake up unemployed and who are you saying hello to? There's nobody other than maybe your spouse or family and that's about it. So the, the loss of community was hard. And so I had to fill that by proactively getting out and connecting with people. So when things happened and the word got out that I was unemployed, certainly people reached out. In some ways, that loss of job is like a death and everybody responds at the time of. But once that fades away, those people weren't calling and I could either sit and whine about it or be proactive. And so I had to be proactive in creating community of people, which was really important for me. That's a really great insight of just the awareness of that and then the proactive nature of realizing it's important to create community. You'd mentioned before we started recording, you're more of an extrovert. So I think for people who land at that end of the scale, it's important to be around other people and find ways to do that that are very appropriate. In the times that you found yourself really discouraged, what kept you moving forward? Probably a couple of things. So first of all, I'm blessed with a wife who didn't let me stay discouraged for long. And uh, I know that that's a blessing to go through a period 
with someone who is so supportive. And the other was, I guess, again, I would say it's my faith. It's knowing this is not part of God's plan in terms of that I'm feeling that way. That's the devil whispering usually the things in your ear that make you say you'll never get a job. You're not that really good. You know, nobody cares about you. All those things that give you the despair and the anxiety usually come from the devil. And so it was really a, a spouse and then digging back deeper and saying, okay, God, come on, help me with this. And then continuing to get up and try and move forward. So more time in the word becomes helpful. Um, more prayer time becomes really important on those down days. And we're all going to have them, Tina. It's just don't let it be day two, day three, day four. It's pretty easy to let it become a pity party. And so you have to avoid the pity party part of it and say, okay, I had a bad day. We all have bad days. Now, what am I going to do to make tomorrow a better day? How do I move forward? Good words. As you came to the second season of unemployment, I really felt that prompting that said, okay, I've started writing, started collecting these things. Maybe it's time to write this book. What'd you do to take the first step? So I think the, the first step was when I looked back over what I'd written before, which I recognized was really pretty poorly written 15 years earlier, there was no consistent rhythm to it. So I needed a plan. So the first thing I did was to say, okay, I wanted it to be short because I know people don't have a lot of time to read lengthy. So it needed to be short. I wanted to make certain that there was scripture in every devotion um, because one of the things I've learned over time is that so few people really know the Bible um, and don't know all the support that's there in scripture for people. And so I wanted scripture in each one. So I really kind of came up with a plan that simply said, it's going to fit on one page with a one inch margin and a 12 pitch font and at least one scripture. And so that was the first step in the process. Um, and then in the second step was really trying to find the writing time. You had a framework yeah. to write. I think of projects like building a house, you know, when you, ha you have build the frame first and then you can put the details in. So just having that decision made, here's the other thing I've learned along the way too, to separate decision-making from actually doing. And sometimes when I get hung up in the doing, I come back and say, oh, I think there's a decision that needs to be made that I haven't made yet and to identify what the decision is. So even to just decide, okay, one page, one inch margin, 12 point font, each devotion will be that. Yeah, that was, that was a one that allowed me to move forward. And then I had a friend of mine who had read some of the earlier stuff and he said, Dale, how, how do you use that scripture to help somebody move forward? How do you make it applicable for them? So that was going to be my other challenge with scripture is making it applicable. How can somebody take it and move forward? And then I didn't know when I began to write that I'd have 80 devotions at the end. Um, but I did know that I didn't want to keep using the same four or five scripture, you know, so how, how do you do this and use different scripture throughout was a challenge I knew that we were going to face. I'm wondering how God grew you in your knowledge of the word and application of the word in the process of writing this. Ooh, interesting. Uh, interesting question. Um, the process that I went through was I, I dug out my Bible that I've had for a long time and all the yellow highlights on verses that were important or meant something to me. And so I spent a lot of time going back over what were they and 
I actually pulled them out and put them in an Excel file so that I could categorize them and know when I'd used them. So I spent a lot of time rereading scripture that I hadn't read in a while. It's just because it's highlighted in your Bible doesn't mean we've read it much. So I was rereading that and then would sometimes read the, the context around that because scripture is not just one line. There's usually some context to it. And so I spent a lot more time reading the context around that. So I grew from that standpoint um, just in in that. And I think the biggest growth for me is saying, how do I apply that? So that's a really nice thing to hear. But how do I apply it to life and how can I make it meaningful and value for people? Because I want I wanted this to be helpful for people, give them hope and to help heal the hurt that they were probably going through um, in the process. What are you hearing back from those who've read the book about how it's impacting their faith journeys and how they're navigating unemployment? So the people that have read it who have been unemployed have been extremely complimentary of it. There was a group of people that uh, regularly got together to network and to talk about job search. And as I talked about the book, I didn't know what all their faith life was like. And yet a number of them wanted the book. And they were very complimentary saying, yeah, I really needed this. And this has been really helpful. And in fact, a couple of them have used the word inspiring. And so it's like, wow, okay. I've had some people that read it that have been through the journey before who've said, I wish I would have had it when I went through the journey that I went through before. Um, so I, I know that the book is a really good book and I'm not that good of a writer. So I know that God inspired that. And uh, so what's on the paper really came uh, because of, of him and the Holy, through the Holy Spirit, you know, helping me craft it. But it's been really well received and, I'll tell you the most interesting part, Tina, has been I don't get requests for the book from the person who's unemployed. Almost exclusively, it's been a phone call or a text or an email. How do I get the book? I've got a brother-in-law who's unemployed. My spouse just became unemployed. A colleague at work's spouse lost their job. And so Mm -hmm. it's been interesting that it's been the helpers who've wanted to help, who knew no way to help, and have finally said, aha, there's a resource that allows me to help somebody that I had no idea what to do to help. Makes me think of when Moses was praying as the Israelite army was battling the Philistines. His friends came and, you know, held his arms up. And I so often think that in seasons like this, it's so important to have people who hold our hands up and, you know, support us along the way in the journey. Because sometimes it's a it's a lengthy journey or it takes those twists and turns that somebody would not have wanted or anticipated or expected. Absolutely. I'm wondering who you sought out along the way as you learned how to write a book, not just the writing part, but getting it published and now getting it out into the hands of people who's come alongside you to help you in the process. There were different people that helped in different ways. So I reached out to somebody that I had, uh, went to high school with who had actually authored a couple books. He is a a radio host for a Christian radio program. And I reached out to him and said, I'm writing a book and wanted to pick his brain. And he said, great, Dale. So he said, how many Facebook and Twitter followers do you have? And I said, well, Bob, at that point in time, I said, Bob, I'm on neither of those. And he said, well, then I don't think anybody's going to pay you for your book, but that doesn't mean you can let that die. So it is 
still a way to go about self-publishing. So that kind of confirmed for me I had to go one direction. And then I had a, a friend who was a pastor who, while he had not written books, he'd been in the publishing business early and he said, you really need to talk to and gave the name of somebody who helped me with that, who was able to help me with the self-publishing to get me directed to somebody that could do that and make that happen. And then there's just a host of people. My gosh, I didn't know there was so much in the process from editing a book to choosing a cover design to copy editing and the arguments over punctuation. Oh my gosh, some people think it's a comma, some a colon, some a semicolon. Um, So I needed a lot of friends to kind of help me sort through that because that wasn't my area of expertise. That's way down in the weeds, right? Yeah. (laughs) Dale, what have you learned about yourself? Um, So I've learned, and it's not too much of a surprise, it's not that I didn't know it, but I like to be in control. And it really stripped away control. So the longer that I was unemployed was hard emotionally for me because I I couldn't make things happen. Of course, I had a lot of friends come up alongside and say, you know, Dale, God's using you because um, you're doing all the things we would expect you to do, but the door just hasn't been opened. So the the lack of control was uh, really hard for me and to keep myself up positively as as it went through. And so I I learned I have a real joy for helping others who are hurting. And so those times when I was having a cup of coffee with somebody who was unemployed was a real joy for me. So I learned even more than I thought that giving back is a really important part of my DNA. And, And it's always been there. I've always done a lot of volunteer things, but I don't know that I always revealed of myself in the process. So in writing the book, as a friend of mine said, you really put yourself out there. You're kind of naked out there um, because those are really feelings and emotions that you went through. And so I had to wrestle with that and come to grips with sharing that. But in sharing that, I think it gives an authenticity to it that the person that reads it goes, oh, yeah, you can tell they've been there. And that's important. And that's part of that empathetic dynamic between people. We really can't fake heart. When you've been there and you're with somebody else who's been there, you both know that that's real. Um, because those experiences are kind of common to the human experience, but to put them in a way where somebody else really resonates and says, yes, I, I've been there too. I know what that feels like. And even though the circumstances may look different, there is an authentic human experience about it that where someone isn't then left to feel alone. There's something about sharing the struggle that is really a way of being able to encourage others in it. Yeah, there's, and that you mentioned the word loneliness. There is a lot of loneliness that people deal with when they're unemployed. And even though logically they know there might have been other people that lost their jobs where they worked, it's still, it's personal to you. So you feel really all alone. And when you can talk to somebody or have a conversation where they've been through it and they can validate that your feelings are normal, that you're not crazy, that's really important to people. Mm-hmm. Um, to get that validation that, okay, this is not abnormal, this is normal, and, and I'm going to get through it. I'm going to get past it. And when you hear those stories of somebody saying, you know what, I'm so much better off through that journey. It's really hard when you're in the barrel, but boy, when you get out and look back, you see all the places God opened doors and how he touched our life through the process. I often uh, remind people to take a look at Psalm 23. We often miss it because there's only a few words in this verse but it says he restores my soul. 
And when you go through that season of frustration and struggle and loneliness, and when you come out on the other side and it's good and you look back and, and God's restored you, that's just, that's the best part. That's the best part. Yeah. So what other lessons have you learned about God and the journey, both, both the journey of unemployment and the journey of writing the book? So I'm reminded of uh, that God's always there and he's actually coming to us in the tough times. I had a, a good friend of mine, and it's in one of the devotions in the book that he talks about. Um, he was talking about Peter on the water. Uh, walking on the water. And he said, if you reread that text, what you'll see is when the storm was out there, Jesus came out to them. So, so often people say in the tough times in life, where's God? And he's actually coming to us. And so it's, are we looking for him? And so I think that was a, a learning for me to to know that, yeah, he's there. It's, it's me. That's the, uh, the challenge. Um, I think in the, in the writing of the book, I was, I've learned and been a little bit amazed at how big of a thing that is for people. So there are, there are a lot of people that have always thought about writing and wanted to write, but they never finished the process. So they might have started something and never finished it. And I got through that part and that's, that's an accomplishment. And again, to God be the glory for that because it wasn't, it wasn't me, but I learned that was, that's significant. And so now I'm sitting here saying, how do I get the word out? Because you know, for this book, there's over 21 million people a year that lose their job, that didn't choose to lose their job. And so, and that's every year and that's in a really good economy. And so how do we get the word out that people know that there's a resource to help and that can help for them from the spiritual and emotional standpoint? So I'm learning that's a new challenge. Um, so writing was one challenge. Now, how do we get the word out and how do we help people is kind of the next challenge. I'm happy to be able to share this with those who listen to this. We all know people who've been unemployed at some point or another. And so to be able to just continue to network the ripples out uh, where people are aware of the resources that do exist. What do you see coming as a a next step to the book? Uh, So there are a couple of things that we're working on that uh, we will roll out here a little bit later this spring. So one is a six-week group study um, that would allow a church to take it and whether they have somebody who's been unemployed that leads it or not, it would allow them to use it, which could be a great community outreach uh, to be able to take that study and invite people from outside the church community. And it would be for both the person who's unemployed and their spouse or their family members to do that journey. Um, And then also a workshop um, working on the outlines that would allow me to come in and help people understand the emotions, understand how God, and just help them on the spiritual side um, as they walk that journey. So those are a couple things that are in the pipeline, and hopefully we'll have them later this spring. I can see those being a great blessing to people. Dale, as we close, uh, one of my hopes with this podcast is to encourage uh, someone feeling a nudge from God that God may be calling them to do something and yet feeling timid about it. So if you were to give them a word of encouragement, what might that be? I would go to Ephesians 3.20, to him who can do immeasurably more than we can ever hope for or imagine. That's what I found. And so in the midst of the struggles, dream big dreams and then look for God to fulfill those dreams. 
last year, this past year was a season of planting as we finished the book and trying to figure out what do I do with my life. And I'm looking forward to the season of harvest, which he's going to help, help me reap. It's coming. I think one of the encouragements I have as I listen to is that you started writing this book 15 years ago. And just because it didn't get finished in that season doesn't mean that God's not done with it. To have it come up again and for you to really have the sense that, okay, I think I'm supposed to finish this now. And then to be able to step into that and actually have a published book in your hand, to me says to people, sometimes God plants the seeds of what is to come at different points in our lives. And sometimes we're just not at the place where that particular project may get finished, but that doesn't mean it's not never going to be finished. Yes, absolutely. Dale, thank you so much for opening your life in a way that highlights an experience that so many have. You gave the number, did you say 21 million? Yes, every year. People experience unemployment every year. And so to be able to open your journey of experience and connect that to the way God encourages us and steps into it with us uh, to help others who may be experiencing that same thing or those who are supporting people who are experiencing unemployment. I just really appreciate what you've done and appreciate you joining me to talk about it and share the word. Dale, if people wanted to be in touch with you or purchase the book, how would they go about doing that? Thanks for asking. Uh, so we have a website and it's howlongolord.org. And uh, there they can reach out and email me, which is dale at howlongolord.org. Um, they can purchase the book there. We also do a weekly blog that supports people who are going through unemployment or some of the challenges of employment. And so there's an opportunity to continue to connect that way. Wonderful. I will publish those things in the blog post that goes with this episode. And thank you so much for being my guest today. And thanks for the opportunity. I've really enjoyed it. As Dale quoted, there are approximately 21 million people who find themselves unemployed each year. Luke 153 reads, He has filled the hungry with good things. I am so thankful that God filled Dale's hungry heart with the good things that encouraged him to begin writing those devotions 15 years ago, that he collected them in a journal, and in this most recent season, that he responded to God's prompting to put them together as a collection that serves as a resource of spiritual support and blessing to others experiencing unemployment. Each of us has our own story that God uses to draw people to himself. What experiences have you had in the journey of life where God has filled your hungry heart with good things? When we lean into those experiences, they're precisely what God uses to encourage and bless others. So what might God be stirring in your heart, and how can I encourage you in it? I'd love it if you'd drop me a note to hello at faithfulinnovation.com. Now make it a great day and find your unique way to share the love of God with the people you encounter. Bye for now.